it's worth um, it's probably worth taking away as a reflection point that we've chosen to record this podcast next to a building site. Yeah, uh, because we can't record, afford a soundproof room. So we're going to take a judgment when we edit this as to how much of the angle grinder that you and I can hear <laughs> at the moment is actually heard on the recorder. I'm hoping recording. not, James, because it would be pretty frustrating <laughs> if we um, just sat here, you know, sharing our souls, and there's an angle grinder in the back, which means all of this is absolutely wasted material. <laughs> So I'm James. And I'm Kyra. And we are bringing you Who Cares Wins. Uh, that's the podcast which is sharing stories about the amazing people caring for somebody that they love. But also stories that reflect some of the harder parts of the role, um, some of the darker moments that you have to go through as a carer. Because you go all with your serious voice. Serious voice, you? yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, we're going to try to do it with a bit of a smile on our face and laugh <laughs> through it. And you, you've had a bit of a rough week uh, yourself. Do you want to you say a little bit about that? Yeah, no, my mum's not being well, so... I don't know if we mentioned it on the first podcast or our first we, I think we mentioned it very briefly. So my mum suffers with borderline personality disorder, so a mental health condition, but has also had, a, had three major strokes as well as a couple of minor strokes. So she's really been a bit unlucky with, with everything. But no, she managed to hurt her hand this week, which yeah, it's just one of those where you, you realise once when you hurt your hand, how often you use your hands. You know, it sounds stupid, but little things like opening bottles and jars, making food just become incredibly difficult and really then puts the pressure on me to to be making sure I'm kind of upping the level of support. Because um, you're her primary carer, right? Yeah, so um, I have uh, two sisters. I suppose I, I live closest, so I, I try to pop in as much as I can. So probably pop in three or four times a week. And you, you so you started doing this when you were like, was it 12 or 13? Yeah, say? really young. Actually, you got confused because counting, you're not very good at counting. Yeah, I know, despite being an accountant. <laughs> she had a, a fall um, down some stairs, which really hurt her back. Um, and around the same time, she had quite a major stroke, which really, I don't know which came first. It wouldn't surprise me if the stroke came first. It really just deteriorated her health, and um, she had quite a rough childhood, um, had really went through some difficult times. So some of the mental health difficulties really must have uh, started then, but only really came to the fore as we kind of, as we grew up a bit. Did you have any idea when you were 13 what was happening that you were ta- that you were taking on a formal caring role i would have been a smarter person me to have that kind of insight i think it was definitely not there are a lot of smarter people than you but I mean, yeah it's, I it's, a, it's, a, it's a very low bar for sure no i think it's one of those where with a lot of stuff it just you just kind of do it it's, it's one of those where i was doing extra around the house because my mum couldn't and that just felt felt normal it didn't feel abnormal and i think it was only when i got a bit older and like reflecting about you know, because of some of my mum's poor mental health, she had, um, you know, quite a few suicide attempts and she was in and out of secure mental health institutions and, you know, self-harm and um, she had a difficult relationship with alcohol. And it's not until you realise that's not what everyone else is going through that, and you know, you yeah. have conversations. And when I was young, I did... In, in a weird way, that's kind of normal, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Because you don't see anything different. That's, that's the experience I had. So I just assumed that was what everyone had. So you said that your mum falling down the stairs was like a, a big thing, yeah, big moment. Did anybody sit down with you and say, Cairo, this has happened, you're going to have to step up here, this is the kind of support that's available, this is what's going to be expected of you? I think almost the opposite. I think, you know, I was 13, 14, a young boy. I hid it. Like, so my mum and dad are separated, and I hid a lot of the worst stuff from my dad. Like, we, we used to see my dad every on the weekends and stuff, but they, they lived, lived away from each other. 
And some of the worst things that we went through, I didn't want people to know because it's, it was embarrassing. You know, some of the stuff was quite personal and some of the stuff was upsetting. And, you know, when you're trying to be 14 and like, I'm a grown up, I'm a, I'm a young man. I didn't want to tell people. It didn't help that one of the times I actually went and told a teacher because it was going, I was, it was a quite a dark moment and I was struggling. It made the, like, the situation much worse. So he called my mum in and we had a meeting and God, it broke my mum. She, the embarrassment and the you know, shining a light that her struggles were affecting me, like it sent her into a real dark place. Because a lot of it, I suppose, is unspoken. And yeah. It builds up over a period of time and you, you just kind of accumulate. You settle into a different role and then it's yeah. only when someone externally shines that light on it that yeah. you realise where you've got to. And there were loads of times when she was a great mum and I'll always love her for that. But there were times when the condition made it really hard for her. And, and fundamentally, she wanted to be a mum. You know, she didn't, want, she didn't want to put this on me. And, um, so that's quite a jump then from learning that telling people has negative consequences to now sitting in a room with a microphone in front of you, setting up a company that's going to be encouraging you to talk about this a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think to a certain extent, I don't know how comfortable I feel about this. I, I think it's, you know... It's a real personal issue, and I think that's part of the problem about care is it is so personal. And, you know, some of the things that I might say like, will upset my mum, and she doesn't want to hear it, and might upset my family and might upset my friends and family, not because, you know, they don't know it, but it's, it's when you hear it, it can be incredibly difficult. Telling your own story can be really powerful as a way of, of coping, mm-hmm. and that's definitely how I, I cope through some of the darker points. I think it's quite striking that you've gone from a place where talking to people is associated with a negative thing, that now you're actually quite keen to talk about it, even though that's quite difficult for you, uh, because, I mean, I suppose we're both committed to the idea of making sure that people don't have to go through the same experience alone, and that they can share and identify with that, and I think that's really powerful. You've described your story there, and I sat down with a lady called Dawn earlier this week and she dawn. yeah she's lovely yeah, um dawn. and uh, dawn was telling us her story let's have a listen to uh, what her experience was i was working for the capital accountant in birmingham and as care needs really started to kick in here uh, i went to four days a week and then i went to working uh, in the mornings at home and the afternoons in the office and then it became that i was working more and more from home and just going into the office on a Friday afternoon or going in for meetings. And then it got to the point where I just had to make that decision of what do I do now? And my parents were more important than the job. It sounds like the guys you were working for were were pretty accommodating initially. They were very accommodating initially. And I think a lot of it, you know, James, depends on your manager's experience personally, because I had a manager whose mother had had dementia and mm-hmm. him and his sister did the caring. And because they had each other and they had children and they had nurses helping, they were able to look after her until she passed away and it didn't really impact their jobs. So he was very understanding. Unfortunately, the manager that I had when I handed in my notice wasn't so supportive. Um, I had a really stressful 
three months notice period I was almost at the point of going off with stress. And so you mentioned that the caring responsibilities increase you were you were looking after your father initially is that right? No I was looking after both of them I think I might have said to you that I'd moved home some years ago anyway because you know they were getting older and they needed a little bit of help around the house but I still had a great amount of freedom that I could I was out at weekends, I was out with my friends, me and my boyfriend were able to go for a weekend away, go on an annual holiday. So although I was here, mum and dad were still kind of okay. I was I was all right to do these things. It was kind of September 2015 and I was actually on holiday and dad rang me to say that mum had fallen and bumped her head and that she was in um, hospital. He had gone in to see her on that Friday and they wouldn't let either of them home because they said, who's looking after who? And anyway, I got a flight back. I was back within 10 hours and I went straight to the hospital. And they, thankfully, everything was OK. But a week later, she fell again and she broke her hip. I was in hospital with her then for um, two and a half weeks. Again, we came home. Things were OK. I was working from home. Um, but, um, so when that happened, your your parents were... Fairly old, but there, there, there was no particular condition that was holding well, them back. Is that right? Well, Dad was always very mentally alert. Up until the time that he passed at the end of January, he was still very mentally alert, which was great. Mom is physically very fit. She's not on any medication. But at the time of the hip break, she had already started this decline into cognitive degeneration. So which is why I had to stay with her at the hospital, because she was not able to be left alone. So Dawn, was there a particular moment where your role turned from being regular daughter into more of a carer as well? It did. And the turning point was actually um, I had to have my gallbladder out and I had to have a month off work um, to recover from it. And it was while I was at home, um, just sitting in the chair during the day because I couldn't do very much. And I was watching my parents and I just thought to myself, what am I doing? Why am I stressing myself out with the job? They need me at home. There's no question about it. And that's when I made the decision that the work has to go. And and how did they feel about that? To be honest, I don't think a lot of the time that mum really noticed because sometimes even now she still thinks that she is up and about doing things so I I've learned to just go with the flow that was a big transition for me and dad because we had to understand what was going on with mum and when she'd say something to us we'd be saying well no that didn't happen and what was happening was she was getting stressed out we were getting stressed out so we just had to learn that whatever she says, we just have to gently go along with it because it's what she really thinks has happened. When you decided to take the decision to give up the work and to focus full time on your caring role, did you have a conversation with your parents at that point? I did. Um, we had a couple of conversations about it. We, we always talked things through as a family so that, you know, there's no rash decisions made. Dad was 
happy about it in one sense. He wasn't happy about it in another sense because he felt I was giving up my life and that I shouldn't be giving up my life to look after them. And mom often used to say to me that she felt I should just pack a rucksack and head for the hills and live my life because I've got two old duffers hanging around my neck and it's not right. But I used to say to her, it's fine, mom. This is what I want to do. And I think once they realized that I'd made my mind up and it is what I wanted to do and it was the right thing to do. They, well, dad especially said, you've got to do what feels right for you. We can't influence you. That must have been a very emotional moment for you all. It was because it was the kind of realisation that we've got to this point that they can't live completely independently on their own. Did you observe a change in your relationship with your parents as you were going along? Yes. As, as a daughter, you even when you're away from home, your parents are kind of still in charge, even though you're independent. And, and that didn't change when I moved home. They were still kind of in charge, but I was independent to do my own thing. Yeah. But as the caring role, role developed, it was I was in charge. I was the responsible adult. I was caring for them. I was having to weigh up pros and cons I was having to make the decisions and that can be quite pressurized and stressful when you're making medical decisions and weighing up whether we need a nurse a doctor a paramedic you mentioned a moment ago that the district nurse was coming in to check in on your mum and your dad and I wonder was was there anybody coming in to check up on you and how you were doing no No, the doctor used to ask me now and again how I was, and I'd I'd always say, well, I'm okay. (laughs) You do. You just say you're okay, and you keep going. It was my cousins, actually, that um, recommended a a care company to me so that I could get additional help, so that maybe I could even get a break, because I, I don't think people who haven't been carers appreciate that even trying to organize to go and meet a friend for a cup of coffee is like a logistical nightmare Mm. because you can't just grab your coat and go. You know, it can take two weeks to plan it. And then on the day, it might not even happen because something's happened at home. Uh, We've been asking members of the mobilised community this week about the advice that you wish you'd had when you'd started. And I think you posted on our Facebook group something similar, saying that you wish you'd known Uh, the impact of uh, having a caring role would have on your on your friendship circle and how often you'd be able to see people and so so have you found that friends are able to to be supportive even if they can't meet up with you are they are they still able to connect in different ways yeah I have to say I'm very lucky I have got an amazing support network of friends and they will whatsapp me they will be on the Twitters, they'll send messages on Facebook, um, contact me on Instagram. Even if it's just like a little emoticon with a, a kiss or a message or and especially since the end of January with um, dad passing, a lot of them have been in touch with me every day, but they know that I probably can't respond to them every day. They understand what's going on. And it's interesting you mentioned the Twitter there because that's how we met uh, each other. We connected over Twitter. And it was particularly through your 
your music, so your singing that we we connected. And I, can can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the singing and what that means for you in your caring roles? Well, I've always loved singing. Apparently, my mum said that when I was little, that I was singing before I was um, talking. I was trying to sing songs. Um, <laughs> I just got back into it again. I was brought up on um, country music and Irish music. We started listening to it again as a family and watching it on YouTube. And I started singing again. Then I had a a little health care scare myself. I think sometimes when that happens, you kind of think to yourself, "Okay, what am I doing? Is, Is there something I should be doing or something I want to do while I'm still here to do it? So I decided to go and find myself a vocal coach and see if I really did have a voice. It was just amazing, James, apart from the fact that I learned so much about the voice and the notes I can reach and breathing, etc. But it was such a relief of stress and pressure. Uh, How did your parents feel when they heard you singing and saw some of the music videos that are on YouTube? Oh, they loved it. Dad was so proud. It was untrue. Absolutely. Um, I... Me and one of the carers, not long after mum came out of hospital, we were moving the bed back against the wall. And between us, we managed to smash the electrical socket. So I had to call no. Yeah, <laughs> just had the bed in the wrong place. So we got uh, an emergency electrician out. And bless him, he had to sit there and listen to me on YouTube and watch the videos because dad was just so proud of me. And um, although I think mum knew that it was me, um, she didn't say very much, but when How Are Things in Glockamora came on, she would sit and sing it because that's her little saying when people come into the house, she will always greet them with, hello, How Are Things in Glockamora. And I think we're going to listen to a bit of that song uh, in just a moment. It's a beautiful song. We've, we've been listening to it in the office as we've been going along. Dawn, before we do listen to that, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us all uh, today. Um, and, and can you just tell us a little bit about what comes next? So you're still caring for mum? The continuing care for mum, looking after the home, the still letters, etc., to be dealt with and, you know, all the legal bits and pieces, memorial cards for dad. I suppose for me, trying to fit in the singing and the guitar lessons and maybe do some more recordings. And I'm hoping this year to be brave enough to actually get out there and get on a stage and sing. You've got to set a goal. You've got to have something to aim for. Well, when the time comes, please do let us know because it would be wonderful if uh, some members of the the mobilised community could come along and support you at uh, at your first live gig. (laughs) (laughs) Dawn, it's been such a joy.
what a uh, wicked lady. Yeah, no, Dawn was great fun. And and what I, what I think is really striking about everybody I speak to in kind of the world of care is that everybody's so keen, despite having loads to deal with themselves, they're really keen to help other people. And you, you kind of heard that in her wanting to share her story in that way. Yeah, there's a, there's a clue in the name, isn't there? We're, they're carers. They are. Yeah. Also, I have to pick you up. I think the question that made me laugh in the interview, listening to it, was when you asked, oh, so who... Uh, who checked up on, on you? And the obvious answer was like, no, no, no one did. <laughs> and I think any, any carers listening will just put, will smile and be like, yeah, no, no one, no one asked about us. Like, it's just, it's so always a second priority. Yeah. And it just made me smile. It was one of those, like, it's what you hope happens and wish happens. Do you think people are embarrassed to ask sometimes? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. I think, I think partly it's because they don't necessarily want the, an- the answer. Yeah, um, and you, you read a blog about um, asking people in the pub, and and I can kind of, I can absolutely see what you're saying, which is that if if I ask you, oh, how's your mum doing? I do that out of a slightly awkward politeness, but I don't actually want you to spend the next twenty minutes telling me <laughs> in enormous detail about how yeah. difficult it's all been because actually that kind of saps the vibe we're in Completely. a place you do like, sa- so, so there's quite a, a, a like a delicate balance yeah for sure and I, and I think it's you know we have to be checking on each other so it's, it's great people do it but it's it's a tough one because it can be difficult and it's a hard conversation and and sometimes you don't want to talk about it sometimes you do want to talk about it but you know generally you have to shut me up so I am I, um, <laughs> I try to talk about things but you know it's definitely difficult so Dawn mentioned that there's a really peculiar shift in her relationship with her parents, which was quite complex for her to manage. You must have had the same thing when you were about 13, 14 in your relationship with your mum. Yeah, I, do you know, I think, I, I mean, I don't think it's unique to caring, actually, that, that change. You know, as you get older, your parents stop being the superheroes that you think they are when they're, they're kids. And I think probably that just happened much more quickly. You know, I, I know my mum values being a mum. You know, so I lose my keys more often than I should, for example. She, like, I always get her to cut my keys. Not because I can't do it, because that's what mums do. She'll go and sort out my keys for me. Yeah, and she'll, yeah. you know, if there's, if there's ever a letter or something I'm waiting in for, she'll come and wait in for me because she wants to be that mum. And I think that's the hardest bit. There's a really think, powerful mothering instinct, right? Yeah, completely. So I think it's, it's much harder for her feeling like she can't be a mum than for me being a parent, I think, I think that, that balance is, is probably the other way. I was really keen to speak to Dawn because uh, she uses her singing to kind of relieve some of the stress of her caring relationship and, and it's kind of a way of her accessing the, the outside world and otherwise mm. she'd feel quite isolated. Yeah. And, it, and it's clear that the kind of the feeling of loneliness is, is quite a big thing amongst people in a caring role. What do you do to make sure you've kind of got that stress relief or rejuvenating activity? Other than drink, um, <laughs> is it so? Is this is this uh, drinking being like the the one guy at the back of the pub on his own kind of drinking, or is this drinking with lots of people being yeah, yeah, carried gen- on their heads? Generally, with friends, well, a lot of carers you speak to, they say, you know, they've stopped, they've had to stop doing their hobbies, they've stopped doing something they love because they haven't got time anymore because they've had to kick and they start full care, full-time care or caring more and it's actually only when their caring responsibility ends that they have to write reconnect with friends or try to reconnect with their hobbies and it's and it's interesting you, you see these people who kind of get that passion back again and I suppose it's for me it's about 
it's a, such a shame that we lose it. We have to be keeping it during those dark times. We have to be making time for ourselves because if you don't, then you just go into these, these really hard places. Um, There's something that Dawn says about having a goal. My sense is that it probably doesn't matter whether or not you meet that goal or hit that goal. But for her, just having the goal of this is what I want to do this year is a helpful way of keeping a kind of sense of perspective on things. Yeah, I think that's super right. I think that's, that's exactly it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I thought was super interesting that Dawn was talking about was the, the need actually to, for kind of human contact, kind of face-to-face contact. I think there's something innate in sitting in a room opposite someone and, and sharing something there in the moment that, yeah, a phone call can never, can never replace Absolutely. And I can see how somebody like Dawn, who obviously at one point she was looking after two people who were quite unwell. Um, I can see how, even though that's human interaction, in a way, you, you kind of want to get out and, and have, a, have a normal conversation every now and again. And, and you used the word respite a bit earlier, which is, which is clearly important. And I suppose that's what we're trying to do at, at Mobilize. Um, you know, you can't always get somewhere in person. You can't always meet up. And for a lot of people, you know, where they are, their roles means they can't meet up in person. And I suppose what we're trying to do is create a community online to kind of break down some of that sense of isolation and, and loneliness and you know, really make sure people realise that we are out there, we are a community out there that can, that can support each other. So uh, next steps, we're going to have another episode of this podcast coming up very soon. Coming soon. Yeah. I, I'm sure you're all very excited. And uh, in the meantime, there's a whole load of chat going on on Twitter. We're at Mobilize Care. And, and Facebook. And, and, and Facebook. Um, whatever the name Facebook. of the group is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mobilize Facebook. I don't, I don't know. Um, we'll put it in a link to the, in the bio somewhere. There we are. Well, uh, Caro, congratulations. That is the first episode of our podcast, Who Cares Wins? It is done. Well done. <laughs> We had to had to get the horn. That's in what somewhere. the horn is for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you soon. Speak to you soon.